On May 17, 1972, Filipinos listened nervously as the execution of three young men was broadcast on national radio. It was a historic day because the 23-year-old movie actress who was abducted and raped by those men chose that instead of staying silent about what had happened to her, she was not letting them get away with it. This is the story of Maggie de la Riva and how she became one of the first Filipina rape survivors to get a conviction against her rapists. Maria Magdalena Torrente de la Riva was born in Manila on September 3, 1943 to Spanish mestiza Pilar Torrente and German-Swiss Juan de la Riva. Maggie, as she was called, went to elementary and high school at Marinole College, now known as Miriam College. She graduated from high school in 1958 and finished her secretarial training at St. Teresa's College in 1960. She was a ballet dancer until 1963 when she decided to enter show business. During that year, she appeared as an extra in the TV show The Big Show, where she was serenaded by Ruben Tagalog. She became one of the finalists for the beauty pageant Miss Caltex of 1963, and in the movie premiere of the VIPs at the Ideal Theater in Avenida Rizal, she represented Filipino gowns under the designer Millie's Gowns for the Fashion Guild of the Philippines. She also got her first big break in the movie Standby with then-actor and would-be Philippine president Joseph Estrada. Tragedy befell the De La Riva family in 1964 when Maggie's father died at the age of 58, leaving Maggie to assume the role of breadwinner. Thankfully, there were enough projects to keep her busy. In that same year, she became the lead actress in the stage play Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. She had a radio program at DZRC Manila called Pakikipagtipan kay Maggie De La Riva, and she was hired as Miss Lucky Centavo, brand promoter for the savings campaign Respect the Centavo Drive. Since then, Maggie frequently guested as a singer in leading nightclubs in Manila, and she starred in more movies such as Naligaw na Angel, Tres Mosquiteras, and Lagablab sa Maribohok. She had her own TV show titled Maggie on Channel 3, and she had guest roles in Tanghalan sa Dairy Gold and Tindahan sa Nayon. She considers her best work to be the 1967 drama film Ang Langit ay Para sa Lahat, for which she had top billing. With her status as movie actress, Maggie was being paid 8,000 pesos per picture, which in 2019 would be close to 700,000 pesos. At her TV network ABS-CBN, she was being paid for performances in radio and television broadcasts at 800 pesos per month in permanent shows, 300 pesos per month in live promotional shows, and 100 to 200 pesos per guest appearance in other shows. At only the age of 23, she had already starred in at least 37 movies. But as successful as she was, Maggie would soon experience another tragedy. At around 4.30 in the morning of June 26, 1967, Maggie left the ABS-CBN studio on Rojas Boulevard, Pasay City, and got into the driver's seat of her Bantam car with her maid Helen Calderon in the passenger seat. They were driving home to Maggie's house in New Manila, Quezon City, around 14 kilometers away, and they were almost there when a red Pontiac convertible with four men inside almost hit their car. Maggie managed to avoid the collision, and she was already in front of her house gate when the convertible almost collided with them again. Annoyed, Maggie said, Ano ba? Which translates to, What or what are you doing? The other car stopped and out of it jumped the driver, 22-year-old Basilio Pineda Jr., who rushed toward Maggie. Seeing Pineda coming for her, Maggie blew her car horn continuously, but this didn't scare Pineda off. 
He opened the door of Maggie's car and pried Maggie off the steering wheel to which she was clinging. Her maid Helen, who was just screaming at this time, went out of the car and tried to pull Maggie back, but Pineda was able to drag Maggie close enough to their convertible for the three other men to help him get Maggie in. Pineda then jumped into the driver's seat of the convertible and drove away, leaving Helen behind. Maggie was made to sit at the back between 21-year-old Jaime Jose and 25-year-old Edgardo Aquino, while the fourth and oldest man in the group, 27-year-old Rogelio Cañal, was sitting in the passenger seat. She pleaded with them to let her go, but all she got were jeers and threats that if she didn't keep quiet, they would shoot her with her Thompson submachine gun and throw acid at her face. The men beside Maggie began to molest her. Jose placed an arm around her and forced his lips upon hers while Aquino lifted her skirt and touched her thighs. Maggie tried to resist them and pleaded again to be released, telling them that she was her family's only breadwinner, that her father had recently died, and that her mother was home alone needing her company and waiting for her to return. This, however, only motivated the men as Aquino said that with her father being dead, no one could take revenge against them. Realizing the hopelessness of her situation, Maggie made the sign of the cross and started to pray. The men, meanwhile, cursed at her and every now and then whispered and exchanged knowing glances with each other while they drove. Their destination was the swanky hotel on Taft Avenue, Pasay. But just before they got there, Aquino and Jose blindfolded Maggie with a handkerchief while they warned her not to shout or else they would stab or shoot her. Once at the hotel, they led Maggie out of the car and with the help of three other men who were hotel employees, they were able to bring her into one of the second floor rooms. Inside the hotel room, Maggie was made to sit on a bed and her blindfold was removed. She was surrounded by her four abductors and Pineda told her to dance nude for them, saying, Magburleska para sa amin. When Maggie refused, one of the men suggested turning off the lights so she wouldn't be ashamed but the others said it would be more pleasurable for them with the lights on. They told Maggie again to get naked, starting with her stockings to make it more exciting. Maggie reluctantly complied, but she undressed so slowly that the men cursed at her and threatened her again with the Thompson and the acid. They then decided to use physical force, and despite her resistance, they were able to undress her themselves. Kneeling in front of her, they ogled her while asking her to turn around two or three times. This lasted for about 10 minutes, after which Pineda picked up her clothes and left the room with the other men. Maggie searched the room for a blanket to cover herself with, but she couldn't find one. Soon enough, Jose re-entered the room, took off his clothes, and raped Maggie who resisted so much that Jose had to hit her several times and force her legs open. After he was done with her, he left the room and Aquino took his turn. Like with Jose, Maggie resisted and Aquino hit her several times so he could force himself upon her. When Maggie entered a state of shock, Aquino called the others inside and they poured water on her face and slapped her to wake her up. Aquino, Cañal, and Jose then left to let Pineda take his turn raping Maggie. The three others were called back inside when she went into a state of shock a second time. They poured water on her face again and slapped her several times, and when she was revived, Maggie heard them say that they wanted her conscious so she would know what was happening to her. Pineda, Jose, and Aquino then left to let Cañal take his turn. Maggie resisted like she did with the others, so Cañal hit her repeatedly until he was able to force himself upon her. Throughout all of this, while one of them was raping Maggie inside the hotel room, the three others were outside the door, threatening her with the acid and telling her to just give in because she wouldn't be able to escape anyway. 
After nearly an hour, once all four men were done with her, they gave Maggie her clothes back and told her to get dressed, wash her face, and comb her hair so she wouldn't appear like she had just been raped. They instructed her to tell her mother when she got home that she was mistaken by a group of men for a hostess and that she was released without being harmed after the group found out she was actually a movie actress. Maggie was warned not to inform the police because if they were arrested, they would simply post bail, look for her, and disfigure her face with acid. After they were done giving these instructions, they blindfolded Maggie again and led her out of the hotel room, but because she kept stumbling so much, she had to be carried into the backseat of the convertible. As they drove, Jose held Maggie's head down on his lap to keep her from being seen by people they passed by. They decided to drop Maggie off in front of the Free Press building, not far from EDSA, near the Channel 5 studio, so it would seem like she had just come from there. They hailed a passing UBL taxi, chosen because it didn't come from a well-known cab company, and after reminding Maggie not to tell anyone what they did, they got her inside the cab. It was a little past 6 in the morning, and Maggie, finally free from her captors and on her way home, broke down and cried. She kept asking the driver if a car was following them, and each time he told her that there was none. Maggie arrived home at 6.30, and police, reporters, and Philippine constabulary officers were waiting for her return. Her brother-in-law, Ben Suba, was also there, and he requested the police officer who tried to question Maggie to postpone the interrogation until she could be ready for it. Maggie ran toward her mother, Pilar, and told her she had been raped by four men. Pilar brought Maggie upstairs and told her to take a bath and a douche and to repeat the douching process with a strong solution two or three times daily to prevent infection and pregnancy. The family doctor was called and Maggie was treated for external physical injuries, but neither he nor the police officer sent to the Deliriva residence were told about the rape. After a family discussion on June 28, it was decided that the authorities had to be informed. Early the next day on June 29, Maggie, her lawyer Regina O. Benitez, and some members of the family went to the Quezon City Police Headquarters to report the incident. Despite feeling shaky and even fainting once, she was able to give a detailed narration of the incident, including descriptions of the four men. She also submitted herself to a medical legal exam by NBI Chief Medical Legal Officer, Dr. Ernesto Brion. He noted the presence of multiple contusions and bruises on her arms, stomach, and other parts of her body, as well as genital injuries which were all consistent with rape. He wasn't able to find semen, though according to him, such is usually the case if a woman's last vaginal intercourse was more than three days ago, especially if the subject had already douched herself. When police looked into the background of the four suspects, they found that all of them came from well-to-do families, and two of them already had a history of criminal behavior. Edgardo Payum Aquino, a second-year journalism student who lived in Quezon City, was the son of a lawyer accountant from Calaca, Batangas. Rogelio Sevilla Canal, or Roger, was a Bacolod native and the son of a retired school principal. He was an architecture student who lived in Santa Mesa, Manila. Jaime Gomez Jose, an engineering student and music band leader who lived in Makati, was the son of a prominent physician from Guagua, Pampanga. He was known to be a member of gangs who assaulted hostesses and celebrity starlets, and he was the owner of the red Pontiac convertible they used in Maggie's abduction. Basilio Pineda Jr., a father of two who lived in Makati, was the son of a former Pasay City police chief. 
boy as he was called, reportedly started getting involved in criminal acts at the age of 13, after his father became police chief in 1958. On August 23, 1966, an altercation ensued between Pineda, a group he was drinking with, and police. Pineda ended up shooting a police officer, and he was charged with murder but he had failed to appear in court while he was out on a 30,000 peso bail, so he was already wanted by the police at the time of Maggie's rape. It didn't take long for these four men to get arrested. Jaime Jose was on Buendia Avenue in Makati, just a few blocks away from his house when police found him on June 29, the same day that Maggie came forward with her story. Upon seeing Maggie at the QCPD headquarters, Jose begged her to tell the police he wasn't guilty, saying, Maggie, Maggie, please, hindi ako kasama, magsabi ka ng totoo. Maggie stared at him, and after crying for a while, she tried to scratch his face but failed. She then said, you were one of the boys that pulled my legs and raped me. Jose's face went pale. He bowed his head, turned to the wall, and cried. That evening, Jose made a formal statement admitting his involvement in the June 26 incident. He named his companions Pineda, Aquino, and Canal as the three other men wanted for the crime. According to Jose's statement, the three men went to his house at around 11 a.m. of June 25 to borrow his red convertible, but not wanting to lend his car without him being in the group, Jose decided to tag along. The four went to Ermita, a popular commercial district where they had drinks at the Ulog Cocktail Lounge until 3.30 the following day. Pineda shared to the group that he was in love with the actress Maggie de la Riva and that he knew she had a videotaping session that morning at the ABS-CBN studio, so there they drove Jose's car with the intention of meeting the movie star. Pineda and Canal tried to talk to Maggie, but because she didn't know the men, Maggie ignored them, got into her car with her maid Helen, and drove off. The group followed Maggie's car until they reached her house in New Manila at around 4.30 in the morning when the abduction happened. According to Jose, it was Pineda who then blindfolded Maggie, and then only Pineda and Aquino sexually assaulted her. On June 30, after learning that Jose had been arrested the night before, Pineda, Aquino, and Canal met together somewhere in Pasay City, and with a different car of Jose's, a Mercedes-Benz, they drove to San Miguel Bulacan to lose the police officers tracking them down. From there, they drove back to Manila, passing through Pasay again, and headed to the province of Batangas. Using fictitious names, they checked in at the Samson Ponti rest house in Lipa, but while they were having dinner at a restaurant, waitresses who had seen their faces in the newspaper recognized them and tipped off local police. The next day, the men transferred to another house in Lipa, but local policemen led by then Lipa City Mayor Miguel Luna, along with the QCPD police officers who had been following the suspects since they were in Bulacan, were able to track them down. Aquino was able to escape with the Mercedes-Benz, but Pineda and Canal were arrested that day. The two executed their statements that same day on July 1st, corroborating Jose's prior statement, although Pineda and Canal claimed that Maggie consented to having intercourse with both of them. But when Maggie was asked to identify the two back at the QCPD headquarters, she held back her tears and pointed to Pineda, saying he was the one who blindfolded her, molested her inside the convertible, and then he also abused her at the hotel. She showed him her arms, which still had several bruises, and she asked him if he remembered causing them. 
Maggie then turned to Cañal and told him he was the one who carried her from the car to the hotel room, although there are no reports indicating how she knew this when she was blindfolded at the time. Maggie, however, confirmed recollection of Cañal through the false upper front teeth he was wearing and a tattoo on his right hip, which when inspected by the police was found to be a tattoo mark of the Bahalana gang. Maggie also positively identified Pineda by the tattoos on his upper arms she saw when he took off his clothes at the hotel room. This was proven correct when police asked Pineda to take his shirt off. Four days passed and on July 5, Aquino, who had escaped to his hometown in Santa Rita Taal in Batangas, finally surrendered to Aurelia Leviste, the wife of then Batangas governor, Feliciano Leviste. The four men were sent to the Muntinlupa National Penitentiary while their case was brought to trial. Unsurprisingly, all of them pled not guilty. When Jose Aquino and Cañal took the witness stand, they claimed that like Jose's initial statement, the four of them went drinking on June 25 at the Ulog Cocktail Lounge in Ermita. But this time, they were joined by a certain Frankie, a man they just met that night. After the lounge closed at 3.30am on June 26, the five men jumped inside Jose's red convertible and with Pineda at the wheel drove to Cubao to drop Frankie off at his house. On their way to drop off Aquino, Maggie's car almost hit them. Pineda decided to chase her and when they were close enough to Maggie's car, he cursed at her and said she had almost killed them. But they were ignored by Maggie. Pineda then told the men that they should teach her a lesson, so he continued to follow Maggie's car until she had reached her house gate, and this was where Pineda pulled Maggie into their Pontiac after a tug-of-war with Maggie's maid, Helen. Jose Aquino and Cañal said they did nothing to help Pineda achieve this, but at the same time, they did nothing to stop it. With Maggie in the convertible, Pineda cruised around the area several times to scare her. Maggie tried to appeal to their conscience and asked Jose to let her go, but he said he couldn't do anything as Pineda was the boss. Pineda then stopped at the street corner where they snatched Maggie and asked her to do a strip tease for them for 1,000 pesos. Maggie initially declined but consented to it after a while, as long as it didn't take long, and she did it only to the four of them. They then drove to the swanky hotel. Before they got out of the car, Maggie asked for a handkerchief to cover her own face. Pineda and Maggie, with her face covered, alighted first, followed by the three other men, and they all went inside one of the hotel rooms where Maggie asked for the windows to be closed. She then began her striptease. As she did this, Jose and Aquino partially undressed while Pineda and Cañal completely went naked, quote, because it was hot. The striptease lasted about 10 minutes, after which everyone got dressed and Pineda handed 100 pesos to Maggie, promising to pay the balance of 900 pesos later. Jose, Aquino, and Cañal went out of the room first and Maggie and Pineda followed three minutes later, after they had apparently discussed the mode of payment for the remaining 900 pesos. Maggie then told them to drop her off near the ABS-CBN studio so it would appear as if she had just come from her work. The court saw the three men's story as a whole as merely an attempt to downplay their involvement in the crime and pin the blame on Pineda. They couldn't believe that any woman, even one who actually stripped for a living, would suddenly consent to do a show for the four men after they had just been so rude to her, and she couldn't possibly have agreed to do her striptease first and then get paid later, much less on an installment basis if she was okay with the price offered in the first place.
The court saw the part about the accused stripping themselves, specifically Pineda and Canal, who went completely naked, as just an attempt to explain away how Maggie knew where their tattoos were. They questioned why the men never told the story to anyone before, not to any of the reporters or police officers who had interviewed them, and not even their own counsel. And most importantly, the court found no acceptable explanation as to how Maggie bore on her body traces of physical and sexual assault if she wasn't raped. The defense's argument that there was no semen found in Maggie's vagina was easily debunked because this, quote, does not disprove the consummation of rape, the important consideration being not the emission of semen but penetration. She couldn't possibly have gotten all those injuries from just the struggle with Pineda while he was trying to force her inside the convertible, or even when Maggie and Pineda were allegedly left alone for three minutes inside the hotel room and the idea that Maggie could have inflicted those injuries upon herself was dismissed because no self-torture would be worth all the shame and publicity admitting to being raped inevitably opens themselves up to. The three men who helped get Maggie inside the swanky hotel were found to be hotel manager Wong Lai Pueng, 65, hotel room boy Silverio Romero Guanzon, 21, and security guard Jesse Involtario Guion, 22. But because the prosecution wasn't able to establish a prima facie case against them, they were acquitted on October 2, 1967 by regional trial court judge Lourdes San Diego. The four principal accused, however, were found guilty beyond reasonable doubt of the crime of forcible abduction with rape, which they appealed later but lost. They were asked to pay Maggie de la Riva 40,000 pesos, or around 3.5 million pesos in today's money, to be divided equally among them. And despite the mitigating circumstance of Pineda eventually changing his plea to guilty, all four of them were sentenced to death in the electric chair. Rogelio Cañal died in prison from a drug overdose on December 28, 1970. He was able to escape his death sentence, but the others did not, as on February 6, 1971, by the order of then-Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos, the Supreme Court upheld the regional trial court's decision. And so it was on May 17, 1972, despite a last-minute plea made by Jaime Jose's mother at the Malacanang Palace, that the nation listened to the radio as Jaime Jose, Edgardo Aquino, and Basilio Pineda Jr. were strapped to the electric chair and executed. Controversy still surrounds Maggie's case even to this day, with some people saying that the punishment did not fit the crime. Capital punishment has been suspended in the Philippines since 2006, but Maggie, who continues to work as an actress today, maintains that if the death penalty should ever be brought back, it should still apply to rape and assault cases and not just drug-related offenses as current President Duterte initially wanted. Whatever Filipinos think of the death penalty though, the image in the newspapers of a young Maggie crying and with a bruised arm pointing at her abusers would forever be etched in everyone's minds and her story would always serve as an inspiration that there can be justice for victims of rape.
To support Stories After Dark, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also suggest cases or send personal stories to storiesafterdarkph at gmail.com and become an official patron at patreon.com slash storiesafterdark. All of the links are in the episode description. Thank you for listening.